Right then, back with episode 10 of the Midnight Pod, flying through these, and we have our first, I guess, non-strictly entrepreneurial guest, but actually a fucking Olympic athlete, which I think is pretty sick, um, James Rodkin, um, member of the Men's Eight in Tokyo, and rowing's probably going to throw people off guard with this podcast, because they're like, this is, they thought this was about, like, e-com specifically, or entrepreneurship, but rowing believe it or not was a pretty fucking big part of my life when I was like a teenager and I probably like credit it for giving me a lot of like life lessons and shit which sounds cheesy as fuck but just like taught me how to work hard and I rode in York City from like the age of 11 until pretty much 17 then quit and then went back and Tom and Ryan are probably watching this from the lead sheds and Elliot Sharp back in Newcastle when I was in uni and rode there, but then finally hung up my oar, so to speak, after a very average career in the sport. So yeah, it's pretty sick to have you on. Well, thanks, man. It's great to be here. Yeah, I suppose the first question, like usual, then we'll just get into a load of shit because I want to ask so many questions. Is really just like, I guess first, yeah, how do you, well, really just what your background and how you got into being because just a side note I feel like rowers are massively underappreciated by people that don't know the sport and you'll probably agree but like in my opinion it's got to be the hardest sport to train for yeah I mean, but you get paid nothing and no one knows about you really yeah you don't do it for the money like yeah. you don't do it for like the glamour and the fame you do it for like the, the love of the sport and the love of like uh, going out in the water and just like being with your mates and being a team like that that's that's what sport's all about and I guess that's kind of what maybe we can talk about a bit tonight it's like yeah, we can talk about specifics of rowing, but actually it's more about like teams, sports, people, relationships, mm. like fitness, all, all that stuff. Like that's that's the bit of rowing that I, I, I enjoy and I really love. And that's why I got into it, going to your question. Like, you know, I got into rowing because I had a go at it. Uh, my dad taught me and uh, I, I fucking enjoyed it. Like it was awesome. Like it was just the feeling of being out on the water on your own or in a group of people, whatever, like beautiful summer's day, like, flat water the, the sounds the smells like that environment is just is awesome and it's so like liberating and, refle- and refreshing yeah. to be outside and now I get I get it's my job which is awesome like I, I can't yeah, I can't top that at the moment and where do you start were you from because as well I feel like people that don't know rowing I guess it's typically like very southern heavy sport mm. like I, I used to take the piss being like rowing in York and then rowing in Northumbria like you know coming down from the north to row at like Dornie or whatever or I guess yeah. in Nottingham in the Midlands but where did you start? Yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't get into the, the weeds, but it's like, so I was uh, Northamptonshire-ish, which is like sort of Midlands, South Midlands kind of area. So like, I wouldn't call myself completely a Southerner, but I kind of sound a bit Southern. Like, so yeah, know, that's just, that's, that's unfortunately that's just how it is. Like, there's plenty of rowing up North, which is great, um, but it's it's something that should be like, I think could be spread like further and like should be more accessible to more people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Northamptonshire is where, I'm, where I was from. Um, learned to row there and then I went to uni Newcastle obviously that's where we our kind of connection happened and that's like yeah. you know we got some obviously like friend like um friends from there and uh, that was where I was for four years uh which was awesome like incredible city like I had an awesome time like yeah definitely best student city in my opinion yeah yeah like still like uh chatted with some guys today who like went up to Newcastle for a night out and they're like why has no one told me about this it's like man it's not a secret <laughs> like, yeah true it's awesome it's great three so, trebles for a father is yeah. that still a thing or is it inflated I, to three for six I think it I think it is it's some place you've got to go to the right time right place you know? yeah but it's it's inflation man. It's shit but like yeah you can still true. find those still find those spots where you get your three trebles for a fiver which is 
pretty yeah that, i mean i i couldn't couldn't touch that nowadays like that was yeah know, very true try and get your piss on stuff. the pod yeah well, well yeah it won't be too hard so how old were you when you actually started then i guess just mm. to go back there slightly but then we can get into like more recent yeah, stuff yeah yeah well so i think rowing is definitely one of those sports it helps if you start young quite frankly mm. like you you can get into it when you're older like it's not a it's not like if you're past like 20 then you're not going to make it like that's not but it, it's like it's one of those it's like it's not quite as extreme as like gymnastics or, or swimming or whatever, but like yeah. it, it's like just learning those kind of motor neuron skills, like how to move yourself, like how to feel your weight in the boat, like how to how to connect to the water and move yourself, like that it's kind a of fucking thing. Hard sport. It's exactly in like, my opinion. You pick it up easier when you're younger. Like children are just fucking good at learning stuff. Like that's, that's like that's that's the best place to pick it up when you're younger. So I, I first got on a boat when I was seven. Pretty, oh pretty shit young. that yeah, is young yeah, that, yeah. That, I mean, even for rowing that's young, for that young. but like that's I think that probably to be honest helped me because it's like I kind of got at that immediate like I was still you're still kind of being moulded at that age aren't you yeah. you're still kind of growing and working out stuff and when did you think you were good or realise you were good if that or was that more of a gradual um, thing I think it's probably it would more be the case that I realised rather than thought because I so mm. I never as I said I got into the sport because I enjoyed it because I really loved it like I, I liked the action of going going rowing going rowing with my mates like that was all that was always a good bit so I, I only kind of realised once I started winning races and getting selected for teams and stuff I was like oh actually like there's something here like maybe maybe I'm actually alright and maybe this is something that can go further like I didn't think about the Olympics or or kind of higher higher stuff like that until I was maybe like last couple of years at school when I was actually realising yeah that maybe this is something that I could take up yeah. maybe I could carry it forward because like you know, a lot of people try to be professional athletes, and it's and most don't succeed. And it's like it's that kind of small like that that you got to kind of got to cross everything together. Where it's like you're good enough, you, it's the right time, like the right opportunities come to you, and then it, and you make it. Um, and that only that only happens for a few people. And I was one of the lucky ones where I was like, it all kind of stars aligned at the right moment for me to kind of to make it. Yeah, and then was there like national schools successes? I was joking previously. Well, that was my highlight yeah. when I was sixteen. Well, I tell you what, you you did better than I did. I only got a silver at the uh, was it sixteen year olds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay sixteen double schools. Yeah, well, there St. We go. St. Leonard's are watching, and yeah. Matt and Ollie, who then went on to get under twenty three gold. Yeah, I beat them when I was sixteen. Oh, Vali, it's my yeah, claim. Yeah, yeah Vali. Yeah, yeah. forgot yeah. his second name then. Jeez, long time. Yeah. yeah, that's my claim to fame. And then. So obviously, was that all sculling? I mean, this is going to be real technical speak for people that are watching this and don't know what the fuck rowing is probably for a start. But for those that are, because I feel like there's a cult following under there somewhere. Yeah. Was that all sculling as a junior? That was all sculling, yeah. I didn't, uh, so sculling's two blades for those that know. Um, well, yeah, one in each hand. Um, and that's how you row. You can row in a single, which is just you. And that's that sculling. And that's what I was doing, yeah, until I went to uni. Uh, and then I learned to sweep, which is one blade, which is like the boat race. Like that's the kind of yeah in, in the eight in the bigger boat so that's that's mm-hmm. where that sweep so that's where i i switched um uh yeah i, I switched at, at uni and that's why that's what i've done since um and by the time you got to uni obviously newcastle i guess probably second to brooks and maybe well probably second to brooks would you say is fair is probably the best rowing uni in the country yeah yeah no brooks brooks have obviously been very good the last few years um newcastle kind of i mean i'm, I'm always gonna fight newcastle's corner Blue newcastle till i die yeah no like they um Newcastle kind of like trailblazed for improving British unis and well apart from the boat race unis but they, they kind of really like made a mark in like the mid 2000s to sort of 
like 2010, 2012, and then got we got overtaken by like Brooks and other unis, and the whole kind of standard has lifted up, which has been really awesome to see. So no, like I mean, Brooks are obviously the the powerhouse at the moment, which is which is great. To did see. you row with James Reader? I did. I rode with him uh, this week. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. No, because yeah, he went to York. He was yeah, probably yeah. three, four years above me, and then yeah, then I actually I was in. Marbella like a few months ago and I was watching oh, yeah. Henley finals which obviously a month delayed this year and then I was like he was in I think he won the Wifold he did yeah and yeah. I thought who's that really thick looking guy with ginger yeah. hair that's got to be Reader. <laughs> that is Reader. yeah no Reader's great I was yeah overlapped with it because did he get back into it yeah yeah like, he, he, he took a few years off or something yeah yeah he finished he's a couple of years older than me um, and he went back he's down in London here now right at Thames Rowing Club and he's yeah the dream's come true and it's awesome like that's the thing with Henley and like and, and rowing like it's got obviously so many levels through it like seeing your mates kind of do well like finally like and through commitment and drive and passion like that's that's what that's really through and through and he's like a an example of just like a an awesome club row that it's like just persevering at it and just improving every day and getting better like and he's achieved his dream which is awesome yeah like side question how big do you think the difference is between like elite level club rowing and it probably sounds like a patronising question so apologies and like Olympic level because obviously there's a fucking big difference but you know is it is it like marginal and it's all these like little extra bits that make a huge difference or is it like if you race them it would be diabolical yeah. difference yeah I mean the standard is, the standard is quite quite big uh, the, the gap is quite big um, but then it's, it's like you know, you'd look at a really good club crew and be like, it's, it's a very good, like, looks, rows really well, like, it's a very good crew. Like, you're not, you're not looking at being like, oh, those guys are terrible rowers. It's just, yeah. they're doing the same motions. It's just generally the Olympic guys are like doing the little bits better and just a lot stronger. And you just, just a training load is all about, you know, volume of training yeah. and physiology. Yeah, fuck rowing so hard. I did not miss the erg. I was doing some erg sprints in the gym the other day, but mm. I reckon I'd be lucky to pull like a 640 these days. <laughs> probably probably slower, to be fair. It's one of those things that sounds kind of easy when you've done it in the past, and then you get on an erg and it's like, fuck this. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, that's so why I don't people, do anymore. Yeah, so more people kind of get into to rowing through the erg in a gym, because so many gyms have an erg, which is like, it's a really good thing. And they all do it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the classic. Like an international like, problem. When you... <laughs> when you yeah, when you're obviously like you're a good rower and you go into a gym, you see someone just like fucking hacking at the thing and like throwing their arms around to be like, oh. But you know, each their own. Like, you know, it's just, you still get a physical benefit from it. Ultimately, it's just a pulley with a, a handle on the end of it, so you still get the same. You can still get benefit out of it doing whatever you like. Yeah. yeah. Coming back to uni rowing then, because I remember hearing like rumours of what Blue Star were doing. Like I think like fourteen by fifteen hundred meters mm. or whatever. Like I don't know exactly. But like firstly, when you got started, so when you arrived in first year uni, I guess 18, 19, whatever, were you already like notably good in that in that crew? Because I know Angelo was the coach, right? Yeah, Is he still Ital- there? Italian guy, yeah, yeah, he's still there. Legendary coach, I've heard, don't know him. Um, and obviously, yeah, like, sick training program, probably slightly higher level than Northern Real was <laughs> over the road at Turk, if Tom's watching, he's, I think he's still there. But yeah, so like two part question, how good were you when you got there and how hard was the training I suppose like right from the get go was it like a full time commitment alongside uni pretty yeah. much yeah so I was one of those kind of like late bloomer you'd say you know like mm. I kind of I got a lot better once I got to uni like I was reasonably I was always big I was always a tall guy um, 
but I hadn't kind of filled out. Like I got, I put on like 10 kilos in my first year. Just like, yeah. there was there was some fat in there definitely, but like it was mainly muscle mass because I just hadn't done any weight training before. Um, and I, just, I wasn't strong. I was just a bean pole basically when I turned up at uni. So like, yeah, I did a lot of weights, a lot of hard sessions and I ate a fuckload and you just like, just, just, I just filled out. I just bulked out quite a lot. And like that helps you manage that kind of program, which is just like lots of high intensity, like, hard training pieces like a lot on the ergo lots of side-by-side pieces on the water like that kind of thing just really kind of molded me into a into the athlete that I, I am now and it's like you kind of you learn where your limits are in that kind of program which mm. you only kind of you know it's kind of lots of technical stuff but like you know different kinds of different kinds of plenty of ways to skin a cat is the phrase and like that one that program particularly was all about just like high intensity stuff sprints basically the whole time which is brutal and like like lots of lactic acid like all that kind of stuff um and that was yeah that was very tough from yeah when i was, when I was 18 19 year old doing that it was, it was fucking brutal and do you think looking back that took away from like the uni experience of going out and getting pissed shagging girls and <laughs> things like that or, or did it or did it not and did you have like you know just a rowing community that, that did that in their own context Yo, fellas, quick one. First bit of promo for the pod. You may or may not have heard, I released a fucking e-com course a few months ago. Basically spent like six months making it because I was in between businesses, as you probably know, if you follow my shit. I must say, 12 hours long, it's fucking quality content, especially for the price it's at now. I was gonna drop it at like 1,500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish, but as you know, it's not my main thing. I'm working on a new brand right now, very, very fucking much in the trenches, which is why I think it's actually a better course than everything else out there, because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one. So yeah, long story short, I've dropped it to 299 quid which is fucking criminal to be honest because it should be way more expensive than that i think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want it to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast spotify apple music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod was it still you were like friends with other people the one yeah, right because obviously like- it's a bit of a it's like a certain type of person and, and mm. what's the word it's a it's a bit of a clique i suppose really oh, yeah. because yeah, it's yeah. so high intensity yeah. unlike probably more than any other sport at uni certainly yeah no you definitely like you make you're, when you're when if you're taking rowing serious at uni all your best mates are rowers yeah. you go out together like yeah exactly like you you build relationships together like you live together like i always lived with all rowers all the time through uni yeah. um and like you know you could say that maybe i, I definitely won't have gone out as much as um as people like other people in my year um but you know we still went out quite a lot like not not you know not like not every night but like once or twice a week like most of the year and then like you do like less like through the summer and that kind of thing um then as i took sport as i took it more seriously like my final year i didn't go out as much but like when you're fresher like you're encouraged to go out like go and enjoy it enjoy the uni experience like i don't feel like i don't think I missed out on that side. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing with the boat club, with boat clubs, like it's such a, as you say, it's a big group, all like-minded people, basically all the same age. Like you kind of build your own, your own kind of friendships within that. And it's, it's, and it's actually can be quite a supportive environment. Like you have people like the older guys will will look out for you. Like the squads generally like got on well, like, you know, there weren't sort of huge rifts or whatever. Like it was a family basically without being, without being like too cliche about it. Like, it was a, a real, was a real kind of like a home that especially like 
kids that had just turned up to uni from all different parts of the country didn't know anyone yeah. like that's the thing with uni isn't it it's like it's a melting pot like mm. people that don't know each other come together and then you just have to you have to kind of like find your own friends um, and the boat club you go there it's, it's ready made it's all there for you like yeah. you don't need to worry about like who you're going to live with or like who you're going to go out with or who you're going to like who you're going to sit with at lunch or whatever like you, you know where your mates are and they'll all look out for you um, which is a pretty like yeah I mean I, I didn't go to uni with anyone that I knew beforehand like I was kind of completely in there blind basically so I made yeah. these friends instantly because I was rowing together training with them um, going out like you know <clears throat> that's the that's the group you find and it kind of supports you all the way through and that, yeah. those guys now are still really do you get mates. like a scholarship or anything is that even a thing in, in the UK <clears throat> I sound really stupid saying that because uh, I, mean, I know Brooks is big for that from what I've yeah, heard yeah I mean it's nowhere near as big as uh, is that even the right term the scholarship I don't yeah, know yeah no there, there were scholarships like it's nowhere near as much as like American unis yeah. for example uh, I mean I think I got like 1500 quid in my first year which is not you know it's not nothing but like yeah paying nine grand a year student fees and all the rest of it like it's not exactly gonna you know not gonna sort you out and then like yeah yeah so you get like a little bit like that but it's not yeah it's not a huge amount did you ever think about going to america to row i did yeah no i i thought about um like harvard and brown a couple of other ones but i never really committed to the the sats and i was like i i, I felt like i wanted to stay because i'd always lived at home and i, I didn't you know, go to board I didn't board at school or whatever like yeah. I went to a private school but I didn't board I was always like I was all a day boy um, and I didn't particularly want to feel like I never saw my family at all um, yeah. it just wasn't wasn't ready to do that um, and I still I don't think I missed out as a result of that yeah definitely interesting and then like Henley wise Henley's obviously mm. massive it's, I say well obviously books and then Henley how soon you won the PA didn't you I think I did it was, yeah which is the student like fours event yeah and when was that like was that the only Henley win I said the only That's, that is having only qualified for not, the first round I've not been I've not had much luck since then yeah no that was uh, that was my second year of uni so 2014 um, yeah and that was awesome that was like those those guys are you know still really good friends as try to see them as like one of the guys Tom like we went they went to the Olympics together like in the eight oh, we yeah, in, yeah. both in the crew like and that's awesome that like known him for what is it now like fucking nine years or ten years and yeah, that's a love story yeah well no he's, he's, he's great he's, uh, he's good fun but it's like yeah and we like obviously raced together all through uni and then like in the Olympics together is awesome so it's quite like yeah that that's like the kind of the friendships and the like the roots are put down there are still like just as strong today as, as they were then yeah to be fair just on that like again my, my rowing history is much less impressive but yeah, even as like a junior, I have one really good friend who I rode with when I was 16 and for a few years prior to that, who is in the Marines now, I think. He actually rode the Atlantic like oh, awesome. for like eight weeks or whatever. And we're still really good friends. I feel like because rowing is such an intense sport and I guess probably unlike anything else, you're physically in a boat together. Like obviously team sports, team sports, but in rowing, you literally have to almost read someone's mind to row properly I just feel like you have yeah just make good friends doing it so some of my best friends in fact really my only close friends that aren't now doing similar things are from rowing pretty mm. much that's like a small handful of them but yeah no yeah. that's that's a good point like it's all like again I'm using throwing on not phrases but it's all about trust ultimately mm. isn't it it's like one of those like base things that like you just have to know especially in a fucking pair when you've, yeah. you've both you've both new to sweep yeah yeah and like you've got to know room. that the guy you're with is not going to fuck it up and throw it like just jump in or whatever like you've got it like and yeah. it's it might seem stupid but like that 
base layer of trust is, is so important. And yeah, you're right, builds those friendships for life or whatever. Like, you know, people, yeah, people care about that kind of thing. Right, yeah, just continue on the on the uni side of things. And again, this is probably stuff that rowers want to know rather than people that aren't into rowing, but bear with me. Like, what, what sort of ergs were you pulling in uni? I feel That's like ergs for people in, in the GB team is now like, I don't know, you're not allowed to t- speak about it and shit, but no, in the past. No, yeah, I'm not, it's not a, not too, too secret. Like, no, no, like, I, I'm not, like, even though I'm a big guy, I'm not the kind of, a, some kind of freak. Like, I, you know, there's guys that are a lot stronger than me. Uh, I was one of the stronger ones at uni, um, and just by virtue of being generally one of the, yeah, one of the, as I, as I got through uni, I, I got, got better and got to, got to kind of the top of the pile at uni. Um, so I was one of the stronger ones there. So I was, like 557, 558 on the 2K at, uh, at by the time I left uni, uh, which was like, you know, it was, it was a good good score for uni, but it wasn't, you know, like it's like, like all sport, everything kind of always moves on. So like nowadays, yeah. like that's like a good score to have at uni, but you get guys that go way faster than that nowadays. Um, but yeah, we had, we had a couple of guys who were around six minutes or below, plenty of guys, you know, you didn't need to be that strong. Like we had like lightweights, like a smaller, category yeah. of people in the cruise who wouldn't be as strong as that and like you just kind of mould it all together um, Ergs don't float as they say Yeah, yeah exactly like that's the thing with, with rowing like I think people look at it and go oh they all look the same they all just like oh, you all just pull really hard it's actually like a rowing team if you think about it it's like a, it's like a rugby team you've got to have a person for every job like you've got to have your locks you've got to have yeah, true. What, your second row props you've got to have a winger you've got to have a flanker like you've got to have a scrum half like you've got to have people doing every job um, and that's why like, I think rowing is so special especially like the bigger boat like an eight like it's the same job like people at either end are the wingers and the, and the scrum half and the people in the middle are the yeah. props and that kind of thing and that's how, how to think about it yeah very true yeah because I remember in, in in the lead shed as we were saying before we started recording so that was the satirical name we gave yeah our Henley campaign which is what I guess like February 2016 to whenever Henley was July 2016 but yeah, I, I remember coming in, I think I pulled like a 650 ergs, I was fucking unfit. But even me, what did I pull? I think I pulled a 611, was Henley time, so not amazing, but that's like four months of just properly training, because that was the first time I'd like committed, it probably wasn't, I, mean, I don't know, it felt like full time pretty much, it obviously wasn't, but I was disinterested in the unit at this point, and yeah obviously think you just you can make a lot of progress pretty quick. Mm. But I remember Ryan, who's obviously now not in the GB team yet but we'll get on to that um, yeah I think he pulled like a 601 but he was the but you get in a single and you fall in so yeah it's kind of funny Ergs don't fly definitely but for me like rowing going sweep the first time at uni fuck me I was pretty bad because I'd come from sculling for years yeah, yeah. which I still think I'd be better at if I got on a boat now but I don't know if that'll ever happen again yeah but, yeah and you've got to like it, it, there's, there's interesting between the two, two disciplines like it's easier to pick up I think sweeping what I do now is easier because I sculled first and like, that gives you the, yeah, the skills definitely. and the knowledge to do it. But it's like, I said, you know, like six, 11, that's perfectly good score for a uni rower. Like, you, you know, you'd be one of the, you'd be, you know, you'd be decent. Like that'd be fine. That's probably the fastest ever go. It's just like, I guess with, with, with your situation is like, you just didn't have a big enough setup. Like if you've been in a big setup, then you would have probably done quite well. Like, yeah. You, you I, I didn't row at uni for long. It was actually like yeah. six months or whatever. And then I think, yeah, at that point, my entrepreneurial career started to, do things and then I end up leaving so mm. wasn't for me but yeah to be fair when I was like 16 I remember getting pushed in to do GB France which is obviously like the the intro to GB rowing as a junior but not at the world's level 
And then I remember my parents being like, you're not allowed to go because you've got school. And then my coach, Phil Jones, fucking legend. A lot of people probably know him. I think he's an honorary Leander member. He was a scary bloke. Oh yeah. Was really pissed off. And then, yeah, anyway, didn't didn't end up going down that route. But did you ever do GB Junior? I did, yeah, GB France. Yeah, yeah. Did that. It was yeah. good fun. Yeah, that was my first uh, like you know, representative race for like, that's that's, as you say, that's the intro race for uh, like, the youngest category that you kind of get to say that you're GB for. Yeah. It's just like a it's just like a friendly match against um, what race against France, French crews. Um, I did it in Nantes in northern France, which was really nice. Like it was, yeah. it was a great like start into rowing. I was in the single. Uh, I was in the spare single actually. Um, so I wasn't yeah, I wasn't one of the best guys in the team, but it was awesome to go and race and I like, get to. And do did that. you go to Junior World as well? Oh no. Uh, two years later, I did yeah yeah uh, in the quad yeah in uh, Bulgaria. Yeah, because isn't it set up so like it's some weird shit with birthdays? Well, if you you have to be if you want to have a two year chance. Yeah, basically, if you're you have to be after January, is it? It's calendar year rather than school year. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you can be in your final school year, but ineligible to race in in a junior event that year. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. But yeah, just coming back to uni then. So obviously, essentially, what what was the transition then from uni to because correct me if I'm wrong here like my understanding of the current GB system at least is you know if you're good at uni you'll then you know go and trial at Leander mm, whether you have yeah. to do that or not and then get into the Cavisham setup which is like the full time Olympians effectively yeah. is that right? yeah so so it kind of varies so like I was talking about earlier about, it's about timing mm. so for me like I'd got to the level so by my final year at uni I'd won a, a medal in my kind of my my age group which was under 23 which is like yeah. the next level from between junior and then the, the, the olympic team so i'd won a medal in my age group in my final year of uni and it's like okay well like you've reached a good enough level um and that was in the olympic year in 2016 in rio yeah. um so i didn't race the olympics but i was kind of like the ne- one of the one of the next guys kind of below the olympic team at that point mm. um so yeah as I, said, I didn't i wasn't good enough to be in the olympic team but i was kind of there kind of waiting and that co- coincided with like finishing my last year of uni so normally what happens after each olympics you get guys who are like you know they win their medals and like, i'm done like they step away and like, i'm going to retire and, and move on and you know with us that year there were quite a few guys that were like we've done our time quite a few of them were on their like third olympics some of them were on their fourth olympics you yeah. think about that that's like yeah, fucking 16 years of graft like full yeah. time that, that's Christ. like that's what some guys were on Have by that fairly point. calloused hands by that point. yeah yeah so you know quite a few guys were like yeah i'm done um and that opens up a gap then for the squad just to kind of be refilled and that was where how i got straight in um at that point which is you know like that doesn't happen very often but it's more because it you rarely it rarely kind of lines up timing wise like it's just it's just just, just luck that basically yeah. like you're born the right year you finish uni at the right time just before an olympics and you're good enough to go into the team like that's all kind of aligns yeah. and, and gets in the same place um so yeah like some people you can get in you can be good enough to get into the team when you're at uni but for most people you need to kind of got to that like 22 23 ish kind of age to be like and you like really good enough to, to, to go in and then a lot as you say a lot of people go through the stage where they kind of they do uni um, and they finish and then, and it's not their time like the team is still full like they're not good enough to get in or whatever 
um, and that the team hasn't kind of cleared itself out and then they go to like a full-time training centre of some sort either Leander or Oxford Brooks or Mulsey like all these other kind of clubs or uh, you know places around uh, around the UK and then you kind of you basically kind of wait you're kind of in like suspended animation just like waiting for a spot to come up in the team and then you kind of if you're good enough then they then move you in and so if I decide I want to quit what I'm doing right now mm. hypothetically and like I'm going to go firstly can I just join like Leander straight off the bat or do I have to effectively trial to get into Leander before then trialling for the GB team do you yeah. know what I mean yeah yeah so because there's a lot of people that like my friend Ryan who we've mentioned before who's kind of in that pool yeah so okay for for the basis of argument let's say you're you're a good enough rower um, and that you you know you, you haven't let's say you haven't done anything beforehand but you just happen to be yeah. fucking incredible and like you're good enough to get in and it's like in that situation you have to turn up to a club and they'll be like right well what have you done in the sport and you're like well I'm, I'm just good like I'm good enough like trust me and they're like okay well fine go and sit on this ergo for 2k and let's see what you can do and if your score is good enough or they see you out in a boat and, you, and you're going fast enough or like generally if you're fulfilling physical parameters let's say you've just been lifting yeah. weights since uni and you were fucking strong and fit but you hadn't done much rowing you, you, you hadn't done like you hadn't been racing hadn't won lots of races or whatever but you were just like you were just good enough if you turned up and you pulled some good enough numbers the, the coaches at a club like Leander or whatever will be like yeah that guy we want him yeah. and if you can fulfill certain parameters then they'll bring you in um, more often than not like you'll be known to these clubs beforehand and they'll be kind of keeping their eyes out and they'll know that right this guy wants to make it at some point but he's not strong enough yet or he's not finished uni yet or whatever and there'll be people that turn up to these kind of clubs in September time being like right I want to make it I want to get in the GB team um, and yeah there'll be like a trials process essentially where they're like okay well sign on for the first two months we'll do some trials do some training do some testing are you, are you good enough okay if you are right then we'll keep you on for the rest of the year but most most places won't let you just kind of like rock up and be like right I'm here yeah. I'm training for the GB team if you're not good enough um, so, so if, if I then got into Leander hypothetically mm. am I then I assume well am I then trialling again to get into the Cavisham setup which is kind of the main yeah. team yeah yeah so once you're like once you're rowing at a club and you, you're, you're in a club and you're in a club environment let's say you're, you're sculling let's say you're in a single mm. um, and you're like I'm going to make the sculling team you can then you can yeah anyone can trial for GB anyone can turn up to the first trial in which is in November time which yeah. is an, like yeah an open trial and you just pay pay your entry fee is that the Boston one that's the Boston and Lincolnshire yeah. yeah great place that yeah um, pay your entry fee and you turn up and you have to do a 2000 meter ergo test and you have to do a 5000 meter water trial in the single just just a race a time trial basically and if you smash both of those then you go through to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage and it is literally like if you were good enough if you could beat everyone then you'd be in yeah like if you win if ultimately like if you win those trials and you do really it's well like the FA Cup for you'll get in yeah yeah like there's nothing like actually stopping you from winning it like if you're good enough then you win those trials and you'll be quick on the ergo and all the rest of it um so it is in theory completely like the balls in your court in that situation where like, realistically it doesn't really happen like that mm. no one kind of comes out of nowhere and suddenly wins everything it's more like people will be like you'll be in you have been in the sport for a while because it's one of those things you can't like you can't just jump at it and suddenly be good you have to work at it most of the time yeah. there are people that are naturally talented but like 
you put the most physiologic, as you say, like the most physiologically talented guy in a boat straight away and he'll, and he'll fall in. So it's, it's, you know, it takes work and it takes perseverance, but like in theory, you can just turn up, win everything, and then they'll be like, right, well, you're good enough. Like, get in. So. Yeah. And then just on that then, because I've noticed you still wear Newcastle in mm. like a Henley race. And obviously for those watching that don't know, Henley is everyone represents their clubs you know so it's like I guess it's like being a I don't know Champions League as opposed to the World Cup isn't it so you rep- yeah, representing your club yeah. so did you never joined like Leander or anything no I didn't because I as I say I literally went straight from uni to um, uh, to the team so I didn't need to kind of do that kind of intermediate yeah. phase in between so and, and for me like as I was saying I had a great time at uni mm-hmm. like I it built me as an athlete and as a rower and as a person and it's like I, I like I like representing that still like I still have yeah. loyalty there and it also it's good for me to represent the uni because then it reminds the, the team the, the, the GB team that actually Newcastle's a good programme and it also so what the GB team does is it will fund um, unis that do well it will give them money and be like, well, we're going to give you money for extra facilities and like just help you keep developing athletes for the team structure. Yeah. So if I just if I wear my lycra and I'm like, well, I'm from here. This place is the place that built me, and they go, okay, right, let's just you know we realise that place is good, and we'll keep helping the mountains and keeping the the place going well. So that that's why why I do that, um, and I, it means a lot to me to do that. Yeah, definitely. I'm yet to see a Northumbria lycra in, <laughs> one day, one in day. the Grand Challenge Cup, we'll but that. yeah, we'll see. That brings me on to another question then. So, like, one of the, the things that, you know, it's just the, the fact of sport is that there's, like, barely any money in rowing, obviously, mm-hmm. compared to, especially, well, my limited knowledge for athletes, compared to, obviously, stuff like, you know, like you said before, you certainly don't become a rower for the money. But, like, and I should probably have asked Ryan this the other week. I think I did when I saw him. So, like, if say I'm rowing at Leander and I'm training, like, full-time, effectively, six to eight hours a day or whatever it is, and I'm trying to get into the Olympic team, which is probably most people. Well, there's probably more. Is there more people in that in that situation than there are in the main team for a start? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole like probably you know one, what at least one to two teams worth of people yeah. waiting outside for a slot, a chance to go in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a there's and it's also even more so nowadays, I think, compared to what it used to be. Um, there's yeah there's plenty of people who are kind of waiting to jump in um, yeah. and it's like it means it's a good thing for the team because it means that there's, there's constant pressure from the outside and you like you constantly have to be on your A game day to day to make sure that you're not only you're keeping up with your teammates but you're also keeping ahead of people that aren't in the building yet um, and yeah I mean you talk about like funding like it's a pretty that that's why like I say you, know, you don't do it for the money because you have to self fund yourself like as I say, luckily I didn't have to do that step of basically, you know, I'd have had to you know, get a job or some sort of part-time job or whatever um, if I if it hadn't been the right time. Um, but yeah, if you're if it's not your time yet in terms of when the team has a space open and you're sitting at the end, uh, you have to yeah you have to get like a you know nannying job or 
yeah, one of the guys so did Butler and the Buff. Basically, people, yeah, people in Leander don't athletes in Leander don't get paid until they're in the until they're in the Cavendish. So there are so. levels. There are levels of funding below being in the team. So yeah, there's yeah. like a it's like a development grant or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like a yeah. So like some, a, one, a couple of people at Leander will be funded to a certain level, but it won't be much. Like it won't, it's normally not enough to live on decently. Like it's it's a t- it's a very tough. Existence. Yeah, I think Ryan was telling me this like six grand a year or something. <clears throat> yeah, it's Which not. Is, it's yeah, not obviously much. not going to work. It's very, it's very tough. Like I'm not going to, not going to pretend that uh, that I know how hard that is to be tr- like training full time like that and having like especially doing a job as well on the side. Yeah, like that's that's really tough. And I was I was lucky I never had to do it. Um, but it's it's not easy. And does does that change massively then financially when you get into the the main team and then and then within that is there different levels yeah so I mean I was when I first joined the team I was on for the hours I was doing I was on below minimum wage for my first year yeah full, like full-time rowing um and I was lucky that I was I had a managed to find myself a very cheap room um but yeah like it's not not much at all when you when you've when you've joined fresh in the team and you don't have any international success behind you like you know, once yeah. once you get into the team and you start making crews and you start winning medals and stuff, then then your funding does get bumped up and like, you know, and is that on like an actual basis like you know X Y Z medals equals this or is yeah. it on at, you know yeah. funding's discretion? No, no, it's literally like if you get a medal at a world championship, uh, you go up to the top bracket, uh, which is you know it's it's decent, but it's not exactly millions. You know, mm. it's really not um, not you're not gonna. Not going to complain. It's it's it, I do fine, but it's not uh, it's not a lot of money compared to what people my age just starting out. In the world. Well, I'm 27 now. Like people my age and the start of their careers are like 21, 22. Like I'm earning far less than they will be now. Um, and you know that's just that's just how it is. But then I don't I don't see that as a as too much of a negative thing because it's, because it's like well I'm I'm getting to do what I love, so yeah. I don't really worry about that too much. I mean there is mm. there is a, a you know, I'm not. Yeah, so I'm not going. I'm not going to complain about it. But it's like there's very little kind of chance for once you've won a medal. There's very little chance for kind of job progression. There's no. There's no bonuses or anything like that. There's no like performance bonuses. And once you won a so yeah, I won a world championship medal four years ago, and actually winning an Olympic medal doesn't bump you up any higher. You, you're kind of still there at the same point. Yeah. So you know, it's just it is what it is. Yeah, and then coming on to the Olympics then. So, well, I guess first is so have you you've been in the Olympic squad, the, the main teams for what four years, like you said, five years, yeah, five yeah. years, and that's yeah. been full time the whole time. Yep. Yeah, geez, that's a lot of training. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of, of bergs. Yeah. And are you fully based out of Caversham? Yeah. I was thinking I said Cavendish earlier. It's Caversham, isn't Can, it? Yeah. yeah. And where is that? That's uh, like Reading. Yeah, it's just outside Reading. Yeah. yeah. So where do people live in that? Like, so I, live in, I live in Henley. Uh, Everyone lives in Henley. Right. Yeah, and that's where some people live in Reading, some people live in Oxford, like a bit around. Um, but yeah, I was I've always been based in Henley since I've been down in in the in the team. Um, and I mean, you know, again, beautiful beautiful place. Yeah, it's like, a nice spot. Not, not going to complain. Like it's and somehow it's actually got pretty cheap rent. Like you wouldn't thought you wouldn't have thought it. But like yeah, Ryan sent me his room the other day. I was like, yeah, what he's paying. I was like, fuck me, I'm yeah. getting scammed. Like here. Uh, buying a house there is as expensive as around here. Yeah, but renting there's no um, there's no rental market because there are no students there. It's not a student town at all. So they're yeah. desperate to fill rooms. Very true. That's interesting. So it's actually a little bit of like a captive market there for renters. Yeah, and then coming on to, I guess 
you've got your medal from Tokyo with us. Um, do you want to show that to the? I yeah. guess people, if they're listening to this, uh, most people watch it, but yeah, maybe just hold it up. It's a fucking heavy medal. I was just saying it. It beats my 2012 national schools gold by some it's, level. It's it's well, yeah, it's nice. I'm, do you have that in like a safe or something? No. Or do you just not think anyone wants to steal it? It's more no, like it's not actually that intrinsic valuable. valuable. No, yeah. like it's just so, pull the mic in front of you. Yeah, yeah, one of the um the things about it is like the big things about the Tokyo medals is that it's made the in, the inside of the medal is made from phone bits, phone like recycled phone cables and like oh, really? chips and stuff like that. So the medal, yeah, so the inside of it is phone parts and it's got a bronze you know, paint or layering on the, on the outside. Um, so it's only worth like in terms of bits, I don't know, a couple hundred quid, something like that, even a gold one. Um, but it's obviously, that's not why you, it's not why you get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. It's not got COVID masks inside, doesn't it? No. Yeah, so I guess, geez, there's a lot we could talk about the Olympic stuff. Um, I suppose firstly, like, how much do you think like how much did COVID affect things because obviously it was delayed by a year mm. and I'm not an athlete by, by any means but I mean yeah I can imagine that was distressing yeah well you know it was a it's a difficult time that that point I mean it was obviously you know I want to talk about how difficult it was for me but it was difficult for everyone back then wasn't it so mm. you know that was uh, let me think end of February early March 2020 was when yeah, when it we off. were yeah so at that point we were finishing up our selections for the Olympic team so we'd done four years like like you know smacking each other around inside the team and um, yeah done four years of that and then it's like finally got to the point where right like we know roughly who's going to be in the team now like we did our last set of trials early, early March um, and it's like right okay these people are going to be in the Olympic team and literally, like, we had a meeting uh, on the steps outside our, our training centre um, where they were like, right, this is the Olympic team. And uh, by the way, the training centre shuts tomorrow. So go home and just await further instructions. Like, take an erg with you, like a row machine, go home and, like, we'll, we'll let you know what, what what's next. And that was on March 27th. Um, and then the lockdown happened on March 29th. Whatever it was, something like that. So, you know... From that, it was like pretty obvious that it was all going to be over, you know. Like, you know, we thought initially that it's okay. Well, the games might be that'll be that'll be fine. Like, it'll work. Like, they'll be able to run it that summer. Like, it'll be all right. Like, you know, we won't like this lockdown only last a couple of weeks. Everyone thought that. Yeah, I remember that. You know, they were like, it'll be fine. It'll be it'll be right. And especially in that situation, you're an athlete and you're like, I've literally trained the last four years. Every waking moment has been focused on this moment, and now an external force has just taken it right away from me there's nothing I can do like I just have to sit there and watch my dreams evaporate essentially that was the emotion of the moment and you know then we found out you know what was it a week or two later they were like right games is, is off it's not, definitely not happening this summer and everyone's like fuck like, right well we we kind of thought but we didn't know but now it's certain mm. it's not happening and then it's like right it will happen but a year later and then there's that little like that lifeline kind of dangled out in front of you and you're like okay well it's it is still there like they say it's still going to be there and like oh they can't possibly like cancel it again oh no like it'll it'll work out it'll be fine and that's the kind of delusion you put yourself in that's the position you have the position you have to put yeah your headspace in you're like well it's fine like it'll be all right like and you're used to kind of dealing with tough situations as an athlete like 
this kind of like, you know, competition gets cancelled, you get injured, like stuff goes wrong and you're in the mindset, you just have to deal with it and, and, and move on and like always look forward and, and push forward. Um, and that was the same thing we had to do with the Olympics because it was like, well, they say it's going to still be there. So I have to be ready when it, does, when it happens. And that's what we did from March until July. Just in our in at home, I, I, lucky enough, my parents had a garage. So I just sat in the garage on the rowing machine. Had a, uh, had was some, it like as hard training wise? Was it a similar regime? Obviously not on the water. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it was fucking hard. It was like probably total not as many miles as we would normally do because it was all on the rowing machine and that's yeah. quite, uh, quite a heavy load to be doing that much mileage on the rowing machine. But it was still like a lot. Like I'd be, I'd be on the erg, you know, an hour or two a day. Uh, I had, luckily I had some weights. So I had some dumbbells and I had a bar. Um, and then I was lucky enough to live out in the countryside so I could run and cycle. Like, so, and that's mm. what I, I did. So like two or three times a day, I'd be training. Um, <clears throat> all the while I was like helping my parents, like with my brother's like homeschooling and that kind of thing. So like we kind mm. of doing that in between, like everyone's lockdown experience like that. But for me, it was like, well, luckily I had, I think a lot of people probably felt like a bit aimless maybe in lockdown. Like obviously boredom was the biggest thing, wasn't it? For yeah. a lot of people. It's like, well, what do I do? Like, okay, I can work or study or whatever, but like, you know, boredom will be one of the biggest things. But for me, luckily there was actually never a dull moment because I was like, I was either training or like helping out with homeschooling or like helping my mum cook or like just doing stuff around the house or whatever. It's like, it actually was quite busy for me mm. in lockdown because I had that, you know, I had that goal out in front of me, which which definitely helped kind of keep sanity, basically. Yeah. And was it just effectively like an extended winter training period then? Because obviously there was no Summer Olympics in 2020. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, we just... And was we there just, like any break or was it literally just a longer winter period? <clears throat> yeah, well, that's the thing. We, we carried on straight away from when the lockdown happened where we were like in prime peak condition, ready to like start the racing season of the year. And then like, right, well, just get back on the ergo just to treat this like, as you said, literally a longer winter. We'll finish in July, um, went all the way through to then. And then we had like a six week break over the summer. So we got a proper summer, which yeah. is good. Like I hadn't had... And that period as well, that was the, so I was, I lived lived with my parents from March until August when I went back to the training center. And Mm. that's the longest I've I've been at home for 10 years, almost like since I left home for uni, like I'd been away, been at uni, been living in the, near the training center, whatever. Like I hadn't been home that long for Mm. such a long time. And um, no, it was we were straight back in the yeah, yeah, like straight back into that training all through that period, and then got a decent summer at the end of it. Well, as much as you could have that summer. I mean, you literally not on the water for months. Nope, that's the longest time I hadn't been on the water since I started rowing, I think. And when did you go back on the water for the first time? Um, Prior to the Olympics, I, I luckily managed to go in a single at my local club when it was allowed, uh, like the end of July, maybe August. So yeah, I mean, it's like five months. But we started training at the training centre again, like September. Yeah, because like different restrictions and so on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, geez, that's mad. And then was it by default going to be the same team the next year? Or was it like, well, there's another year, so people might get better or worse? Well, this is the thing. Like they, they because we put so much effort into selecting the team first time round. They were like, well, we think this is the right one. And everyone had largely maintained form like, I stayed uninjured like everyone was still kind of 
like in fighting shape by the time we got back to September that had been selected in the first place. Yeah. So like, well, okay, this is the team that we're gonna we think we're gonna take, but it's not. You know, we knew it wasn't a sort of fully fully selected. They were like, well, this is what we think it's gonna be, but it's now up to you to kind of hold your position basically and yeah. keep getting better because now we've got the Olympics is actually gonna be there and actually like. There are there were chances for people outside to get in from like well people that hadn't been initially selected. So one of the guys actually that ended up racing with me in the summer, um, he had like a like some kind of pretty nasty shoulder injury at the time of the initial selection. Mm. So he was that he wasn't going to be in. Um, this guy Josh, and then when he, by the time the Olympics rolled around again, he'd actually got better, got fit and strong, and they were like, yeah, you, you're in, like you're good enough. So he was in the eight with me yeah. um, this summer. So it was like. You know that some one or two things did change, but the, the crews were were largely the same mm. um, from that first selection. I suppose one thing that did change was head coach, mm. which those in the rowing world obviously know Jurgen Grobler of what? How many years in the GB team? Twenty plus years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Was that a shock? Yeah, yeah. No, that was. Um, that was tough because he was actually really good with us with our eight especially because he was our coach um like we had zoom call well what yeah it was like a whatsapp yeah google hangout i think it was twice a week yeah um we'd all like all well all 10 of us because there's the nine of us in the crew including the cox and then jürgen the coach yeah we're all going like get into a quiet part of our house and just like sit down a bit right how's training going like what are you doing today and you're going to kind of sketch out the plan for like the next few days, next few weeks. And we kind of stayed in contact quite well. Like we had a, we made a WhatsApp group with all, all nine of us on it. And each day we'd send in our scores. Well, we'd done like a screenshots of our, of our yeah. ergs and that kind of thing. Keep Just like keep, keep everyone honest. Because if like, you know, you knew that by, you know, 9.30, several guys who had got up early in the morning would have like banged out their ergs and they're already on the WhatsApp. And you're like, well, yeah, this guy's, he's, you know, he's, he's gone well today. Like, yeah. I better, you know, I've got it. Like, I was always a later riser. So I was like, well, I've got to, you know, actually get on and, and crack on with it. But that kind of kept you, kept you on it. Cause you're like, well, everyone, like everyone's training here. Everyone still sees the goal is in the same spot. And you've got to, you know, we all, we all want to do our best. We all want to be the best we can. Um, and we've been given this this lifeline, this second chance. And Jurgen was was key in kind of helping that mindset. And he was yeah he, he was very good with us managing us through um, through lockdown. Was the eight the like primary boat for that Olympics? Obviously, historically, it's been the four. Yeah, I mean, I don't. They they didn't kind of select. Is it, is it not done like that? As yeah. such, no. They they basically they. Um, we, we the the four that ended up racing as the Coxes four were always the fastest internally, uh, in in the four. Um, they weren't always the fastest pairs. Um, that it was a bit it was a bit closer at that point, but they always won yeah. pretty much whenever they went in a four, and they'd been fast the year before as well. Um, and yeah, they, like you know, a lot of us, a lot of us wanted to do the eight, and then some guys wanted to do the four, but it was like you know. It was basically, I think Jürgen felt that we could maybe win two medals and maybe win two gold medals. Oh, yeah. Um, Previously, that been the case, hadn't it? Yeah. And, and and it was like, well, you're like, we'll, we'll, we, know, we know we've got a fast four here. Um, and, you know, they'd actually been doing better than, than the eight had been the, the previous years. Um, and the eight needed all the help it could get to kind of really kind of make sure it was, make sure it was on the podium. So it, it wasn't. It wasn't such a case that there was like a, a top boat or whatever. Like, 
you know, we kind of, we put the people where we thought they, we thought they'd be most effective, largely. Yeah. And then coach, coaching changing with Jürgen Leamy. <laughs> do you think that, like, did that have a big effect? Was it, was it like big, good effect? Well, not good effect, but you know, was it, was it really negative or was it just, because obviously there was a lot of stuff that came out after the Olympics. Mm. Controversy, whatever, blah, 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 which we can maybe get onto or not, but yeah people saying that had that not changed maybe GB would have got a gold or etc etc I think it's kind of it's difficult because it's bigger it's bigger than that it's bit like ultimately the coach isn't the one that gets the medal yeah like the coach isn't that like the moment and plenty of coaches have said it to me before like the moment they push you off the dock like it's up to you um and so we can kind of sit there and go, oh, wow, well, if only we had a different coach, it would have been better. Or if only we kept, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't kind of buy that as much. Like, and I think Jürgen would say that as well. Like, mm. it's, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in, it, in his mouth, but it's like, it was up to us t- to win the medals. And when we didn't win the medals, we wanted to. So I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think you can really say that, you know, if we had a different goal, if we'd, if we'd done that, like, something as specific as that differently it would have made the difference because there are so many things that go into making a crew go fast like yeah. you know for us like the biggest thing you know we weren't allowed on the water for six months because of the yeah. coronavirus whereas the New Zealanders got to row basically all year round and like they were a very good crew anyway but like the stuff like that where it's sort of you know that's going to be possibly more important or a myriad of other things like just you know, like how you kind of believe and trust in in your in your system, how you like specific things, like how how you manage like travel, especially to the to the you know, twelve hour time difference or whatever it is, eleven hour time difference to Tokyo, like how you manage the heat, like what equipment you use, how you're feeling on the day. Ultimately, that that can change completely. Like, cause if you if you have a shit night's sleep the night before, um and you're, you're not in your best headspace or something like, and you, you just muck something up slightly, like that can make as much difference. Mm. Like, you know, you catching a crash- That's terrifying really, Will make it? more, yeah, like you, you like, t- like, you know, catching your blade on the water and fucking up the rhythm for 200 meters, that will make more difference than any coach could have, ever could. Like, and that's just one person in an eight can do that. So, you know, that there's there's so many things that, that affect it. And it's, it's I, don't, I don't like to kind of pinpoint that specifically and go, that's the reason we didn't do well enough because I just don't think I think it's more complicated than that yeah definitely and like yeah obviously like I was saying there was loads of shit saying GB didn't perform etc etc obviously to, to any normal person the fucking Olympic medal is insane do you think bronze was, was disappointing or not like mm. so pretty brutal question but no no it's, it's, I think it's entirely, it's entirely fair it's, it should, obviously what was one second between yeah, no, no, like points. that's ultimately like you, you said it. Like that's it's a second. Like that sport. Like it's a tiny, it's a tiny margin, but within that there is so much. That you kind of look at it afterwards and go, mm. oh, "What could I have done? Like could I've done? Like could I have been stronger? Could I have been lighter? Could I have been better? Right? Could I've done? Could I have slept better the night before? Could I've eaten better in the lead up to it? Like there's so many little things that go into to making that. And I've always felt that you should be kind of. I'm quite quite a positive person in general. Like it's always the glass half full, mm. you know. So so for me, coming away with anything was always going to be like. There's always, obviously it was all my goal was to win a gold medal. That's why I went there. That's what I wanted. Like that was every stroke I was taking was like I'm doing this to win. 
and that's fine in the moment and that's how you have to approach it you have to go into it to win but then the moment you cross the line there's nothing more you can do mm. like it's done it's finished it's over like you, you have no impact now on it whatsoever and you have to kind of pick up the pieces and, and, and look at what's left and what's left over and in that initial moment I was like fuck yeah like that it's all, it's all gone wrong like we fucked it like it's not it's not it's not worked out it's not the fairytale ending that I wanted um, but then at that point like how do you react to that you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to again like like with everything with life sport in general you've just got to move forward and it's like well if I sit here and go that wasn't good enough I'm therefore going to be miserable about it I'm going to I'm going to think it's shit that's not going to mm-hmm. help whereas if I look at it and I take the positives and I go and the, the Olympics especially like you looked at it and it was like you know there were people there, there were there were winners at the Olympics and there were people that there were people who got medals and there were people that went home with nothing and most people go home with nothing from yeah. the Olympics and that's what most that's what one of our coaches said to us before is like 90% of the people 95% of the people turn, turn up to the Olympics get nothing from it they get the kit they get the experience like they have a fun time and that's for a lot of them that's why they're there like plenty of people who were at the Olympics were there for the experience because you know whatever they're, they're able to qualify like last minute or like the country's just not competitive but they have spots or whatever like a lot of people at the Olympics are never going to win medals it's brutal but it's yeah. true and you know if you are lucky enough to be one of those people that firstly gets to be good enough to go to the Olympics and then gets to win a medal on top of that you have to take that as a positive you have to look at it and go like yeah that's incredible and feel and feel grateful for coming home with anything um but that's not to then say that you look at it and go it's fine to lose like or it's, it's like oh i'm happy i'm like i'm not happy that i lost i can take the positives from bringing something home but i then have to look at it and go well what am i gonna how am i gonna use that to make me better yeah and that's what i have to do like, i have to use the good things i got from it and i have to learn from the mistakes that i made along the way to make myself better and, and if I make it again do better next time and that's how I think how you have to look at it yeah yeah good answer do you think the whole COVID situation obviously like I mean for a start it was less televised on TV than it normally would things like that. I don't know mm. how exactly it was there but did it feel like for example there was no crowd in the opening ceremony is that right or like things like that yeah did it feel like like an anti-climax in that respect or were you kind of because it had been COVID for a year and you know, the whole world experienced elements of that but obviously especially as an athlete going to the Olympics it's like fuck the first Olympics is COVID mm. yeah did you think that was um, frustrating yes and no because you know, like ultimately like the village is fucking cool like yeah. it's awesome like it's an incredible experience like it's our, our this the Tokyo village was this kind of almost like island sort of in the in the middle of the like basically in the middle of Tokyo Bay um, with these kind of these like 10 tower blocks on it with all the athletes in it and they it was quite cool because they actually like they parked up all the like the coast guard ships round like in like a blockade around the island to stop people trying to get in because you had like boats circling around trying to get in like trying to get in and get pictures or trying to like meet the athletes or whatever yeah. so it felt like this kind of this weird colony like cut off from the outside world but there were constant like there was a there was the TVs in all the all the flats and there were these constant um one of the like 
there were about 10 channels of constant live stream cameras just pointed at the village or like pointed at locations in Tokyo and like you can see like oh there's a camera like over there at the other side of the village just like looking in on us and you really felt like there was, you were under the spotlight yeah. in this uh, in this tiny little like small island with 10,000 people on it just like milling around all like just going all over the shop so like the village was a a really cool environment and that was was quite to be honest that was probably quite similar to what it would have been anyway like okay people yeah. were wearing masks but ultimately they do like, that over there anyway don't they? yeah well a lot of the time in, in yeah transport and stuff but like the village was very similar um and that was the bit i ultimately experienced which which was cool um the opening ceremony as a as a crew we never would have gone to anyway because it was too close to our race oh true um mm. so mo did go because he was the flag bearer yeah. which we had it we sat down and you know he got he got told that team gb wanted him to be the flag bearer and he was like guys i don't like you know what what do you think and because it was they moved our race because there was a typhoon warning actually they moved it to yeah, the next day fuck, i remember that i was watching it so mm. and he was like look like you know the race has moved or whatever like we're gonna race tomorrow what should i do and he you know he he was like well i'm gonna get to carry the flag from our country so i would like to do it and we were like 100 you should do it like we want we want you to be out there like that's a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he, he went and did it, which was awesome. Like it was amazing to see rowing represented, you know, in the flag um, as the, Mo, Mo is the flag bearer. And that, that was really cool. But we, the rest of the crew would have never gone to, to that anyway, because yeah, it was, it was too close. Um, so, you know, that's something that oh, would have been awesome to like troop around the, uh, around the you know this the olympic stadium mm. for a proper opening ceremony but it, unfortunately actually we just wouldn't have got to do it anyway regardless of covid yeah. um and then the big thing the one thing that is is sad is that obviously we did our race um and then we had to leave japan the next day a.m the next morning we were on on the plane back home oh, is, that, is that because of covid yeah because the japanese government were like we don't want any you know pretty much the vibe was like you're here for as short a time as possible and once you're done get out like we don't we don't need mm. but because but, and there was a reason to it because it's like you've got all these people in a really close environment in the village like the more densely packed we have it the more likely there is to be a COVID outbreak and that destroys yeah. the whole thing so if we can thin out the, the athletes as quickly as possible then it makes the it gives a better chance for the whole event to go ahead so there, there was logic to it I understand why but it meant that we then obviously couldn't hang around and just kind of like have the normal what you would have had at the games which would have been like a massive party for a week afterwards or like going like into the other stadiums and watching everyone all that kind of thing like that would have been really cool and I definitely do feel sad that we missed out on that but you know again it is what it is like you can't can't change it like it's just just what happened yeah and is it true there was cardboard beds in the Olympic yeah, village yeah yeah the beds of cardboard I, I, I remember saying that somewhere yeah I managed to break is it to prevent on the first athletes day. shagging each other nah that's not unfortunately just, I know that, is that yeah. just a complete meme yeah there, there was a meme there were quite a few tic- oh, what was like TikTok videos or Instagram videos about it no it wasn't is it just it, a smaller budget then what's the reason it, it was about recycling so really? the whole thing about the flats so it was the, yeah the, the tower blocks we were in were going to be sold as like boutique harbourside flats like the, you know they're mm. pretty cool but the whole thing was that they were all like they were smaller than you would sell like a conventional like flat um, because they just had like plasterboard walls and that kind of thing yeah. to make more flats so you could fit more people in. Um, 
and the beds were cardboard so that you they could just chuck all the furniture out the windows when once everyone moved out and just oh, like right. strip out all, all the inside and, and redo it so that's quite boring i know but like that that's that was the reason for it but it was you know nice to think that it would stop people shagging i don't think it did stop people shagging um I'm, i think quite a few people got got around it but it's um no like that that was there was a fun thing to be literally everyone asked me asked, oh is that the reason that unfortunately yeah i couldn't say that was true or not yeah. but yeah it's on tiktok or something yeah. and then these are probably like really fucking cliche questions but i feel like people will be interested um like obviously you've done fucking loads of races probably hundreds of races prior to the olympics um maybe not in gb but in your life like when you get to an olympic final are you shitting yourself or is it just another day in the office effectively because it is your office mm. being in a boat no you're absolutely shitting yourself like I, I, yeah, I make no like bones about that. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, that's the most nervous I've ever been, and it's more so like in the days leading up to it. Like in the immediate yeah. moment of like before the race, yes, I was very, very nervous. But it was more the worst bit was waiting for it. Like mm. the day or two before, start watching like an Athens two thousand four yeah, YouTube montage, just getting like worked up, like just just waiting because the only all like all you want is for it just to, to happen, and mm. you're like you be to be able to like attack it and, and do everything and do do your job, but you can't because there's a set time when you can go like you you, you know you have to wait for it, um, which is tough. It's 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 very tough, and you know I wasn't during the race. I, I'm always I think most people are like once the light goes you just zone in and it's jo- it's go time like it's you, exactly mm. you're at the office you're doing your job and, and, and that kind of part of your brain takes over but up until that point it's it's like the 20 minutes before the start which is the worst bit because once you're on the blocks once you once the boat so the boat is like locked in to the starting gates with like a a kind of like a hook essentially which goes over the, the, the front of the boat to stop it washing around um, and then going straight down the lane so the boat is like locked in and, and it's ready to like a like a racehorse in the um, you know in the, in the, uh, the tunnels um, and the boat's ready to go and then you're just all sitting there like right you know one in front of the other just like Listening to like you've got the noise like of the other like so the big thing there are like planes going over every couple of minutes because you're mm. right next to Haneda Airport or whatever like there's it's loads of noise it's a port so there's like cars charging past there's like people on the bank like shouting at you like there's the there's there's loads going on and then and you can hear the cocks speaking down the speakers in the boat and then you got the crews either side of you or they're all like yeah. just before the start they're all like smacking each other on the back like shouting each other all these foreign languages you don't know what they're saying they're all like there's, there's like people like slapping themselves like shouting at themselves like there's so much they're like there's noise and that's even before it's you've got going yeah. and then you get the call to attention it's like right everyone come forward and you kind of roll forward, lock yourself into the water as well. You like, you know, you exchange maybe like a word or two with the man in front. You like slap on the back. You like, we got this kind mm. of thing. And then, it, <clears throat> then it's deathly silence. And then it's like, right, here we go. And then the buzzer goes, and it's just the the noise on an eight star is something that like you got to kind of, you, you know, it's like you got to kind of witness it to realise yeah. kind of what it is it's just like yeah I feel nervous thinking back to like just yeah obviously not in the fucking Olympic final just like yeah even just in like a local regatta like being like, I just remember being like 15 and just yeah just shit yourself yeah it, it just I'm goes from see. like it's, it's, it's completely silent and then there's fucking like 
all these huge guys just apps or, or, or girls or like there's there's all these like physical specimens just mm. like straining every fiber of their body to move that boat as fast as possible for the first couple of minutes and it's it's brutal and in the eights it's just all about maximum power maximum like power efficiency and technical precision all condensed into like the first 90 seconds of the race and that's where yeah. so much goes on in that first bit yeah it's kind of a horrible sport in that respect because obviously something like football you can have a bad first half yeah and you've got 45 minutes to fix it but yeah. right you've got what five and a half minutes in eight you, thereabouts yeah. and yeah like you said you, if you get a yeah. crab or something you can make a mistake in that first five seconds that finishes it all for everyone like if you if you fuck it up on the first stroke you take a duff one you like you like hooks out or whatever it doesn't like you wash out you splash around or like that's it you've done it like the whole like your race is done and like your your whole your whole campaign your whole four or five years or eight years of your life whatever it's done mm. it's over like you can't recover yeah. that it's, it's not selling it to people that are yet to start no. rowing is it christ no, it's it's that it, like i don't i think it might be that you know because it's that like that's why you do it it's because you have to you have to put so much into it just to get it right because then when it goes right it's incredible yeah it's like a piece of art yeah it's like mm. you wouldn't that you don't do things that are easy True. Well, like why do you do that you do you do something because it's hard and because you then like if you know starting up a being an entrepreneur was easy everyone would do it everyone would be successful at it, but mm. they're not yeah they're not like because Similar it's hard principles. because it's tough and it requires commitment and dedication and perfection and skill all the rest that's why we do things like this you know whatever it is like that's why you do that kind of stuff because it takes a lot to get it right and there's consequences if you get it wrong and you know you have to make sure that you work hard enough that it all goes well yeah definitely so, so when you came back then so flew back next day yeah that sounds kind of fucking miserable to be fair mm. do you think you were more or less motivated to do to do the next one to try and go for Paris having obviously been to the Olympics not gone as well as you may have liked but still you know fairly well no there was yeah, how so, did the view change so I mean I, I kind of roll it back like a couple of hours before so like literally the moment across the line I'd always felt before the games that this wasn't going to be my last one if I was good enough even if I won like even if I won I'd mm. be like I think I'd definitely be in the situation where I was like that was incredible I need to do that again um and then I didn't we didn't win obviously and so in the moment across the line I was like well right again like good because like this, this experience has been so incredible and it was more so on the podium where I was like standing there like we got given our medal and it was there's so much kind of emotion in that moment because you've mm. got like despair pain like defeat all the kind of bad stuff which kind of welling up inside you like disappointment you felt it'll feel like you've let your crewmates down um like for what you like you know for whatever reason it just like it hasn't worked you feel like you feel upset but then you're like you're standing there and the cameras are on you like everyone back home is watching so the thing i only realized when i got home everyone's like oh i saw it i saw it. like i was like so many people were like i watched it yeah, yeah so many people that i know or like or don't know at all were like yeah i watched it i was like why it's like three in the morning like what you know but then you you're there and you're like wow so many people care about this firstly i've got something which is awesome like our race that we had was actually a, from us was a really good race like the but like that was the 
probably the best mm. t- total race I've ever done. Probably, like we we rode well. Um, the race itself was very tight. It was very close. Like the crew that beat us was really good. Ultimately, like fair play to them. Um, we had like as I say, like I don't think we sort of. I don't think I could have left. I, I didn't finish the race thinking I had way more there. Mm. You know, I, I didn't finish there thinking like, yeah. so I can't, and, and you have to be detached. You have to look at it and go, well, I kind of did everything that I was capable of doing at that point. So to me, the the response to that is like, okay, well, I want there to be a next time and I want to be capable of doing more. And what's that going to require? That's going to require more training. That's going to require more commitment. It's going to require more focus, more skill, more mental resilience, all the rest of it. Like, And, and that's that's what I was committed to doing from almost the moment that I crossed the line. Because I was like, well, I think I've got more in me than that. Mm. And like obviously, you know, bronze is, is incredible and it's awesome, but I've always wanted more than that. And that's what, drives me day to day is, is to get to get more and like I've always felt with sport is that if I feel like I'm getting better and if I feel like I'm getting stronger or whatever faster and I'm still really enjoying it then I'll keep doing it and and that was that was what I was feeling in that situation I was like I think there's more in there and I can't rest I can't stop I can't finish this chapter before I know I've kind of squeezed everything out of it yeah so coming back to the training then for a second, because obviously, yeah, back in the saddle effectively for the next, I guess, what, three years to Paris, a bit less mm. now. Like, how hard, obviously, like I said at the start or, or before we start recording, I, th- I feel like rowing, in my fairly limited experience of it, is just fucking hard. And <laughs> People that have never sat on an erg and been in a boat. It's one of those sports where you can't, it's like really hard just to do, in my opinion, whereas mm. like everyone can play football. Mm. you don't have to be good but you can most people can play whereas rowing if you're not if you're not good you'll fall in or like if you're not yeah. remotely skilled like you can't do it once a week for like a beginner but yeah in terms of like your regime like kind of on average over the the previous four years and or the next three years going forward like what does that look like like are you like fucked every day mm. so at the moment while i'm in london i've been training just twice a day so just before and after work which is you know a nice break from what I have been doing normally it's um when I go back to the training center full time in November it'll be yeah three times a day so I'm up at up at half six be starting the first session which would normally be a weight session like a 90 minute long upper or lower body yeah and that'll be yeah that finish that by what nine something like that um then I'll do a second session at like 11 which would be again an hour hour and a half either on the water or on the row machine and then there'll be a third session in the afternoon maybe like two to uh start like two or three and that'd be another like hour or so of like it's largely low intensity cardio Mm. um but it's just like that it's like rowing is a lot of rowing is about volume like just time under tension yeah um so you've got to like you just got to put in lots of miles and then obviously like you've got to be as you say you've got to be technically good enough to be able to do that like it's it, it's a you know by the time you get to the olympic level like you can do you can row for hours ultimately like you're you, you're able to technically like skillfully able to do it but then once you're at that point you just got to put yourself under more and more pressure and just and increase increase load increase the 
increase the speed, like row faster, whatever. Um, and, and then technically develop as well and make sure you're always, because <clears throat> you're not just sitting on, you're not just going out and just kind of scrabbling up and down a lake for a bit and just coming, oh, like that was fine. That you're out there and you're like every stroke you're taking is like, how can this be better? Like, mm. how can I make what I'm doing now better than it was on the last loop or whatever? And like that, and that's, that's your, that's your day to day. Like every day you come off thinking like, was that better than the day before? If it wasn't, why? Right. If we know, if we can identify what it is, fix it now, and then move forward to the next day. And that's, that's the regime six to seven days a week. Yeah. Jeez. It's intense. And do you think, would you say you enjoy every day or is it more a case of like a lot of it's shit, but you net enjoy it, which I guess is probably the case for a lot of people, including myself and what I do. Mm. But like, what's your experience of that? I think, because rowing is one of those sports that is very training intensive. Like as you say, like if you're playing football or whatever, like at the you know top level, you're playing what one or two, one sometimes two games a week. Yeah. Like you're, you're you're doing like you're competing in what you love regularly, which probably keeps you like keeps you in the mm. game literally like keeps that fire, keeps that competitive edge. With rowing, like we just don't get that. Like for whatever reason, it, you know, rowing is not a regular sport that you compete in. Uh, we will compete like oh, what I would consider fair, like fair amount throughout the year like we'll compete internally against each other in in, in boats on, on the water like before Christmas and then a couple of times early in like the early spring and then our main big international races racing season is from like May through to August September mm. um, but even so in that you'll only do like three or four big races a year um, so with that in mind you have I think you have to enjoy the process like you have to be able yeah. to enjoy it because if yeah literally as you say if you're sitting there thinking the only thing I can do is race I can't like I can't do the training mm. like everyone's going to beat you like because all the people that you race at this level are people that are really good at training who are then also they're able to use that and race better and race faster than you yeah. so you can't ultimately be someone that says I can't train but I can race because that's like you can do that at a younger when you're younger when you know people aren't training full time you know they, they don't whatever like they're schoolboys or they're at uni or whatever like you can be one of those guys that just turns up for the races and it's just good enough to do better but like once you're getting to the top level it's it's about it's more about physiology and it's more about just people who it's, it's their full-time job and and you know when it's your full-time job you've got to put the hours in yeah definitely and do you think it makes having like a life outside rowing difficult? I mean, in my experience, like I was speaking to a mate the other day about like being an entrepreneur and, and I think there's all, anything that's kind of obsessive in nature, which I feel like being an athlete and being an entrepreneur have many similarities in that respect. I feel like it's always going to affect your social life. Mm. But like particularly with rowing and well, being an athlete, but rowing is like obviously it's so physically straining and like do you obviously it's a choice but but do you feel like you sacrifice other elements of life like I don't know relationships like going out whatever like holidays potentially that side of things oh 100% yeah like definitely like holidays for example like mm. you know I get I get three weeks off a year um, all in like I basically will normally get the month of September off um, so like and that's Literally, you finish your race on, you know, 30th of August or whatever. 
uh, and then you're back training full time on um, what the first of October or whatever. So like you have that literally that three weeks exactly of September off, and that's it. And you just literally have to each day is precious because you have to like veg out as much as possible, just like decompress, like fit in whatever you can. Like that's from yeah, literally going on holiday, seeing family doing any kind of professional develop you want to do mm. like like if you can try and do an internship whatever like if you want to do an internship like ultimately most of those are going to be months long ideally but you know you can't do a two month a two week long internship really like yeah most companies are going to laugh you doing that and that's two of your three with three weeks of holiday gone so like yeah that definitely that suffers um and yeah like you know as i said it's similar to union that all a lot of your friends are going to be rowers and like you're all in the same boat literally in the in the team aspect you're all everyone's in the same situation so you have you know you have those social experiences with your teammates a lot of the time yeah but you know like it's not you know you, you will get like most most Sundays you will get off um, so you can like if it was re- if you really wanted to you can go every Saturday if you fancy it like you, you can do that like you can it's like a you know it's like a normal job except you just don't get Saturday night as well. You know, you always you always train on a Saturday. Um so you know, you get so you don't get you don't get Friday night as yeah. well. Um yeah, I mean to be fair. So yeah, Friday, Saturday, I mean you yeah. Know, yeah, like you definitely life yeah, doing that every week. But. You lose out on some of that, like under undoubtedly. Um but you know you, you can only be an athlete for so long. Mm. So it's not like I'm doing this the rest of my life. Like I'm doing this now while I can. And you know, once I've once I've finished being an athlete, whenever that happens, you know, there's the rest of life still ahead of you. Ultimately, and yeah. there's plenty of time to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess two part question then as well, because I just remembered. Like, firstly, like I mean, I suppose rowing's stereotypically a fairly you know privileged, posh, whatever whatever you want to call it, sport. And secondly, do you think because it's not that accessible just because you need a fucking boat which obviously like compared to like a mm. football most kids don't have access to you need a river typically it's at schools and typically it's private schools because it just is um, or it's like a club like I went to York City so yeah firstly like do you think it, it is like a privileged sport I mean well what am I trying to ask I'm trying to say like it's a fairly niche sport well, no, and I think, do, I think, do you see that changing I think or I'm is getting, it because it's quite expensive yeah. to do no I think it's a fair question and I think it's it's, it's the right one because it's like you're definitely right that it's it's not accessible mm. which is a real problem and it's not something and it's something that I really want to like I would like to see change in rowing because ultimately if you don't live near a piece of water, yeah, it's very hard. That's to row. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So there's that in itself, which is not. I'm not trying to cop, like trying to dodge it, but like that it, itself. Like if you're out in, I don't know where's got no water. Like you know, if you're in Birmingham, it's not a lot of accessible rivers, or like you can't really row on the canals. Like there's no kind of real big lakes around there. Like there's more than you think, but most of those places don't have rowing clubs on them. Yeah. So it's it's not easy. For like if you're right, if you're Manchester, like there's only one club really in Manchester, which is Agecroft, mm. Agecroft Rowing Club, which is which is a great club, very like historic, but it's one club to serve what how many ever million people in yeah. Manchester. So it's like whereas, you know, 
down here in London, the yeah. riverbank's lined with clubs for all, all the people or like, you know, in the Thames Valley or whatever. Like, you know, there's, if you live in the Thames Valley, it's easy to row. And that's yeah. great. That's awesome. But it's also tends to be where more wealthy people live. Yeah. And so they have more access to lots of things and sport in general anyway. So there's a lot of more deprived areas of this country that, that either they're deprived in terms of um, income or deprived in terms of actual access to facilities. Yeah. Um, which is, is something that British rowing really need the governing body really needs to do more to help because like, it's it's just it's just a question of putting like giving access to, to facilities like building infrastructure like building yeah. rowing clubs and making rowing accessible because it's you don't ha- like literally you do not have to be posh to be good at rowing like it's yeah, not no, like, like yeah. there's not some genetic thing that if you're posher and richer you, you're going to yeah. be better rowing. it's just it's just not like anyone can do it anyone can be good at it they just need I rephrase that. Anyone can be good at it. Not anyone can do it because of yeah. how tough it is to get into it. And that's that's the that's the change that needs to happen. It needs to be opened up to a broader section of society. And then it won't be it won't have this stereotype. Like Yeah, I mean it's, it's not it's not a bad stereotype, like I guess but but yeah, like especially people that don't know rowing would probably mm. just you know, that's what you know, that's what posh people go to at Henley, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And like but I think it's yeah. yeah it's a it's not the truth because I mean yeah like I'm not fucking posh I went to a state school like rowing was a big part of my life as a junior and there's a lot of other people that I know like Newcastle's a good example of that Newcastle Uni mm. not you know plenty of normal people would ever go there it's not a fucking posh uni really um, but yeah it's just it, I guess yeah it primarily is because you need water and a boat yeah and a, eight costs 30 grand it's yeah. not like buying a football yeah, you know you can't exactly. kick a boat against the wall. No, when you're, no, when it you're wouldn't a kid. do much good. Yeah, yeah. No, like that's the thing. It's it needs, it needs someone to build a rowing club, and you need to be, you need to find accessible facilities to be able to do it. And then, then it would be, it would be something because, like, like if you get yourself a couple of rowing boats, get yourself a half decent coach, you can just roll like hundreds of kids and like you know people through mm. it, like anyone can use a boat they can just jump in and just and use it and like the next people can get in and use it like it, once you have equipment you can get lots of people invested in the sport but if to just get started is a lot of sunk costs yeah like getting going which is which is why it's, it's hard to set up clubs like that yeah then i suppose it's like because not that many people do it it's a fairly niche sport ultimately even though it's one of gb's most successful olympic sports weirdly mm. along with like cycling i think and then it's like because you know you don't get many kids that grow up and as obviously people look at like they want to be a footballer of course everyone wants to be a fucking footballer but then yeah there's just not that awareness of rowing is there really like even when I was doing it in school people would be like where are you going after school to train I just didn't even know what it was yeah and then yeah it kind of keeps it because I think it's a well I'm not saying it's you know a tiny sport but yeah I think it's a shame that there isn't more recognition because it is such yeah, it's just a fucking hard sport and it's a good sport because it, is. it yeah, like breeds like... I've never met anyone that did rowing that was a cunt, really. I like, I wasn't... Yeah, no, I mean, I there's know. some, but generally people that get into it to a yeah. decent level, even as a junior or whatever, yeah, in my experience, are pretty well-rounded people that go on to do fairly decent things. Yeah, ultimately, largely it's a team sport and you can't succeed in a team if you're a cunt like you can't succeed if you're not able to 
to, in some way to get people to work with you. Yeah. So like, yeah, like exactly that. Like you have to have to be able to work with people. You have to be able to train. You have to be able to like, literally you have to be able to get in a boat with someone and be like, I'm not going to try and kill this guy. Like, you know, it has to be, there has to be at least some level of that. So you're right. Like, you know, you know, like every, like all walks of life, rowing attracts all sorts. But I think it's true that you can't succeed if you're not able to work together. Yeah, and then I think because of that, like, there's obviously that Cameron booking that started doing like vlogs and shit. He's probably like the first, I guess, mm. obviously like YouTuber that's a rower. Is is he in the main team? Uh, he's not anymore. He was. I, no, he's I got know like Cam that Yam well. squad brand that he's built which is quite smart <laughs> I mean, cool. um, yeah no Cam's a great guy I have known him for a few years now we were on the team together um, when I first joined uh, he unfortunately got um, like overtraining syndrome mm. well like uh, chronic fatigue basically um, I've had that for a few years now probably since I quit yeah um, <laughs> after being on that area for the last time yeah no he, that was that was really unfortunate because he was, he was really good like I mean he, he's, he's better now um, but he's, he's not back on the team unfortunately but like he's a, yeah he's really had a lot of fun races with him he's a great guy um, and yeah he actually took a, made a like he was one of the first like trailblazing trying to like mass market rowing as a, an accessible yeah, that's like, what I mean. for people to, to watch because is there like much sponsorship in terms of like how you can like monetize because obviously like it still baffles me that like you've been to the fucking Olympics and you've got like 3,000 followers mm. not there's anything wrong with that no, no, but like true, whereas yeah, anyone yeah. that's in the Premier League has got a million plus followers of course mm. they do because you know football but yeah it's like is there still do you come across like sponsorship opportunities and stuff in or is it just because it's a relatively niche yeah very thin on the ground like yeah no I I don't yeah I don't have any sponsors or anything like that like I think there's there's maybe like one or two I mean if that like maybe one or two people in the entire GB Rowing community that have any any form of corporate sponsor or or sponsor at all and it's not Mm. it's not exactly buying you Ferraris or whatever it's a small fry um and I, yeah, that's just a you know that's just a a symptom of, of the there isn't. So the big thing, especially about because I had a few conversations post post Olympics, and the big thing about, thing about it, like Team GB as a brand, is oversaturated in terms of talent. Like yeah. everyone wants to sponsor like uh, you know Tom Daly or uh, the triathlete guys, the Brownies, like yeah. or whatever, like you know. Um, the, the swimmers like PT and that kind of thing like everyone mm. wants to sponsor those guys um, and it's like if you're a big brand or whatever like corporate sponsorship in general I see it appears to be kind of going down and taking a hit especially athlete sponsorship it's not as big a deal as it used to be or it's not a, not as much of a deal like brands are kind of collating around like one or two or like a few individuals they're not they're like they're only going for the big hitters basically they, they mm. because being an athlete as a personality is it's more of like a it's maturing essentially like in a, as a concept like the the brand ambassador like the athlete ambassador itself was like was fairly a fairly new idea especially yeah. with social media a few years ago now people are kind of working it out I mean like where am I getting the most bang for my buck essentially it's only from the, like the top few people that have like that you can put like you know what is it um you know you, you can put like Adam PT on, on the front of like a the cereal or cereal or something like that yeah. like you, you can get Jess Ennis and put her in like a commercial or whatever like or an advert like 
that's where the money goes. It goes, it just goes straight to the top. Like it doesn't, brands don't try and like build up a small time successful athlete, but they don't, they don't go for that. They just go straight to the top. And if they can't mm. get the top, then they won't bother basically. And that's, that's generally how it, how it's looking. I mean, it, like it does, it does cascade down a little bit, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't fall all the way to rowing, unfortunately. Yeah. Interesting. And then something we were speaking about previously as well, before we start recording. So like, and again, I speak to my friend Ryan, I'm pretty close with, who's in the system as well, but not in the Olympic team yet. And speaking to him about like, obviously, yeah, he spent all this time in like, you know, prime physical years, certainly, like not doing other things. So like, how does that affect positively or negatively, like career after rowing? And, and at what point does that become a consideration? Because obviously, mm. yeah, like you said, you want to go to Paris, but then you know after that like how do you think about that and is is that something that like the system helps with because obviously like we're saying mm. there's obviously if you're, if you're a fucking premier league footballer you're kind of sorted whereas rowing it's not the case so i think there's, there's a couple of points there so there's the the point that uh definitely it's changing so in previous years the teams like gb rowing and across like like Premier League as well like and across the across all sport have been very uninterested in like athlete development and, and like individual yeah. growth like all they want is like the medals or the, the goals or like that's all they want they want the performance of the athlete while they're in their physical prime and the moment they're done you're out you're out on the street like you're yeah. done with whatever you've made from it and that used to be how it ran um, and it is still that way to a certain extent especially in the high financial turnover sports like football like they're not like ultimately there's still no real incentive for them to kind of really look after people um but it's changing up in a lot of sports and then rowing has got a lot better at it in the last few years like so what i'm doing at the moment is i've been allowed to be away from the team for two months i'm doing an internship at the moment which in previous years just wouldn't would have been completely off the cards um yeah interesting like that's a change that that's happened and we've been given the kind of the autonomy to be like you can do this um for a bit uh and you know it will i'm it will definitely have is definitely helping me like just kind of grow beyond sport um and it's really good i mean i luckily i had my degrees um before i came into the team but like and i think also because rowing is it's maybe a positive because rowing is not as financially viable it's like you can't go into rowing and be like, I'm going to make my career, my millions in rowing. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Like, you, mm. Where are you going to do it from? So there isn't that young, that focus from a young age to like, just go straight to the top and, and, and miss out steps along the way. Like, like some form of either education or just like something, something yeah. that broadens you, whatever it is. Like, like you're saying, like you know, entrepreneurship or like what, or like just other skills. Like there, like, there are people that still do that. There are people that still just go all out in sport, but it, I think it's less common. And that's meaning that now more athletes, especially at the top end, are coming out of rowing with more to them than just being an athlete, which is a good thing. Yeah. And do you think you lose like your, I don't know, professional or like work edge because, like, as in like outside rowing, because you're rowing all the time? Or do you think, obviously, you're still doing something that's, you know, very similar principles ultimately to any fucking business, like mm. showing up every day, yeah, so working, etc., etc. I think it's as we were talking about, about kind of before we started recording. Like, there's 
it, it's just a question of kind of teasing out the skills that you actually are learning while being an athlete like yeah. big things like teamwork uh, like passion drive dedication all that stuff that you get from being an athlete that's that's all that's all there you just have to like and that's what you're doing day to day and people outside of sport find that impressive which to me like or to other athletes is like just what you're doing mm. like you have to like you have to do all those things well to be a successful athlete but people outside sport find that impressive so you're like okay right well that's a commodity that how do I use that and that's the conversation you have to have with yourself is that like you have to work out how you speak to that and how you kind of bring that out to yourself and explain that to people because they're like okay well you just row like okay you do all this cool stuff great but like are you valuable to me beyond that can you actually mm. demonstrate can you use those skills beyond rowing um, or beyond sport in general and that, that's that's what you have to, to work out and that's what for me the last like, couple of months have been about it's just like it's all there it's all being used I'm like I'm I'm you know I'm using those skills day to day but I didn't really realise I was doing it and I didn't know how to bring that out but then like when you actually put yourself into a work environment and go like can I actually have a normal conversation with someone that's actually nothing to do with rowing or like can I, can I yeah, do true. this kind of stuff a lot stuff? of rowers probably struggle with that no, yeah yeah and, and, that, and you, yeah, yes definitely there's a transition like you have to get used to it again but you just have to find how to to yeah deploy those skills that you do have to have to be a professional team athlete yeah, definitely. Yeah, because like I said before, I, yeah, I pretend I had some glorious youth rowing career, but yeah, definitely. I've, yeah, I think ultimately, if you can, if you're willing to get up at bloody half six in the morning, go sit on a cold river and shred your hands up as a child or or as a full time athlete, then yeah, it says a lot about your ability to do other stuff. I think so. Yeah, definitely, just sets you up for life. Like everyone should try and do a 2k erg to like a respectable level the just shine, on a, yeah just in the gym by themselves one day and yeah then, then suddenly they'll probably think differently um, just a quick one then before we wrap up what is the hardest session you've ever done either on the erg or, or on the water just hardest session I've ever anytime. done anytime uh, we did a session at uni which was um, 10 3k water pieces um, so that's yeah, three thousand meters on the water. Uh, this is on the river, um, out in out in big boats, and it was I think it might have been my might have been my second or third year. Probably th my third year actually. I was in December, on the Tyne, snowing like just absolutely miserable, like windy, like yeah. freezing. You know, you know, it's like like, and just going all the way from up the river in Newcastle all the way through the centre underneath the swing bridge like past the Millennium Bridge all that like then all the way down there and then all the way back up back home to, to New, uh, back to the, uh, the boathouse at Newburn and like that was fucking brutal because you're just like you're in a crew you're, you're in an eight like don't know if it's going well or not like it might be rolling around your hands are freezing you can't hold onto the handle you're training you're doing hard pieces so you're fucked anyway and then you're like once you get into the middle of town you've then got to get all the way back home. It's not like you can't just get out there. Like you've got to, no, you've got to physically get the boat all the way back up and row it back home. Yeah. So like, yeah, they, they, were, that was, they were the hard ones back in the day. Yeah, pretty brutal. Wearing pogies in the winter, yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, geez. Um, that's an hour and a half, plus oh, wow. over an hour and a half already. I mean, to probably speak forever about rowing and so on, but yeah, I, I hope we see Paris 
go uh, go in Paris. Yeah, so do you want to be in the four or the eight? Oh, I don't know. I mean, now, now is that lost, a long way away? Well, I mean, look, now I've lost the eight. I've got to try and win it, haven't I? Um, I've always feel like, yeah, I always feel that's like a goal. But whatever, you know. I I, I hope. Firstly, I hope to be there. Like mm. that's the big thing as well. Like there's just because I've done this, there's no guarantee I'll be there again, and that's very much like aware of that. Like I've got to I've got to actually walk the walk as well as talking it you know I've got to make sure I'm good enough to be there firstly and that will be my goal is to be on the start line and then once if I'm there then great that's all, all to play for yeah geez there'll be some rowing montage on YouTube in four years time you can <laughs> well, look back on that's right yeah class right well good to chat um, we'll wrap it up there then cheers for watching and listening wherever you are and we'll see you on the next one cheers